Would you pray with me as we ask for our Lord's help? Father God, as we hear your word today, as we've heard it read, we hear it preached, may the words of my mouth, thoughts, meditations, responses of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I confess that far too often my words, particularly to my family, they reveal selfishness, a desire for comfort or for me to be in charge. I confess I've spoken at times with grumpiness and a lack of self-control and I've been too quick to make excuses for that, whether it's tiredness or pain or stress or what others did to me first. To my wife and kids, I've been too quick to speak too slow to listen. And this reveals that my heart is still in need of renewal and change by God's Spirit. Because as the Lord Jesus says to us today, our words reveal our heart. What do your words reveal about your heart? Today we see the words of the words of Jesus' enemies reveal their hearts. And Jesus warns that God will judge us for all our words. He'll judge all of us for our words. But we'll also see today that there is hope. For through King Jesus, we get forgiveness and a changed heart. I hope your Bible's open at Matthew chapter 12. We're starting at verse 22. And In Matthew chapter 12, we've seen the Jewish leaders rejecting and opposing Jesus. Last week, we saw how Jesus claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath and his healing of someone on the Sabbath that resulted in the Pharisees now planning to kill him, verse 14. Jesus has continued to heal people. Pharisees continue to watch him. The Pharisees, they were a part, they were part of a group of Jewish leaders who were legal experts, legal experts on the Jewish law and oral tradition, and they prided themselves on their performance. They saw themselves as separate from and and better than everyone else, and people looked up to them as the super holy ones. But Jesus does not. He knows their hearts. Verse 22, a demon had, had possessed and taken control of a man and made him unable to see or to speak. Can you imagine how horrible that would be? The the powerlessness, the, the oppression, and unable to cry for help, say or speak or see anything. And yet Jesus heals him. In Luke's gospel, this about the same passage, the same story, the same event in Luke chapter 11 and makes clear that Jesus healed him by driving out the demon. And the crowds of people watching are amazed and they wonder, they ask, could this be the son of God? Sorry, the son of David. Could this be the son of David? And our first point is, is Jesus the good king? Yes, he is. Jesus is the good king. The Jewish people are thinking of God's promise to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
that one day God would raise up a descendant of King David who would rule over a kingdom forever. It's the same Son of God and Messiah King from Psalm 2 who will rule over the nations and and even over his enemies. And this same person is also the servant of Isaiah 42. Do you remember last week? That one who will bring justice to people, justice to the nations. He's also the son of man from Daniel chapter 7, that one with all authority. Do you see that all these Old Testament prophecies are pointing to Jesus? They're fulfilled in Christ the King. That's his identity. He is the King. The crowds are right. Jesus is the promised and powerful King. And from Jesus' incomparable and awesome authority, he rules even over evil spirits. But the Pharisees don't think he's from God. They think he's demonic, not Davidic. Look at what they say in verse 24. This man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Beelzebul is a modified form of the name Beelzebub, a lord of flies. Don't think of the 1950s book or the 1990s movie, but it's speaking about a false god referred to in 2 Kings chapter 1. But by Jesus' day, it's become a name for Satan, the ruler of demons, the prince of the forces of evil. Jesus just knows what they're thinking. And don't forget that. God knows what you and I think. And he responds, Jesus responds, 25, every kingdom divided itself against itself will be destroyed. No city or house divided against itself will stand. The splits in the Roman Empire contributed to its downfall in the 5th century. I thought of the Lord of the Rings and the steward of Gondor sending off his son Faramir to certain death, refusing to defend the city, and the white city was headed for destruction at that point. These divisions, we've seen it too in Australian politics. Since 2010, four prime ministers were overthrown from the inside. Kids, you see it in sporting teams. If you don't work together, you lose. And if Satan is divided from Satan, working against himself, he will not stand. But Satan's not that stupid. Satan will not self-destruct. He doesn't want to see people healed and restored. He wants to hurt and afflict. Satan wants to turn people against God and... Bring them to death. So no way is Jesus driving out demons by Satan's power. Satan, I mean, Jesus Jesus brings God's kingdom and he plunders Satan's kingdom. And the Jewish exorcists will prove the Pharisees wrong too. For even they testify that it is God's work. Is Jesus evil and casting out demons by the power of a greater evil? No, no way. Jesus drives out demons by the Spirit of God, verse 28. And he drives them out because he's stronger than them and he's stronger than Satan. 
I, I thought of the Hulk being stronger than Loki, Superman in Justice League being stronger than evil Steppenwolf. Jesus is stronger than the devil. Please see that. He can only free people from Satan's clutches because he is stronger. Jesus has tied up Satan and that's why he can plunder his house. And this matters even to us today. Because even if you're not dealing with demon possession, you and I still face evil. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 says that our real battle in life is not against flesh and blood people, but it's our real fight is against the cosmic forces, cosmic powers of darkness and the evil spiritual forces. You might be fighting with your parents or your children at the moment. You might be frustrated that you live alone and your friends aren't caring for you. You might be angry at the premier or prime minister, or you might not be wanting to get out of bed again to face your crying child. But our real battle is not against them. It's against evil. It's against sin. It's against Satan, who wants you to sin and give in to anger or despair or bitterness faithlessness. Remember, Jesus is stronger. Come to Jesus in prayer for strength. He can help you. Who is Jesus? What's his identity? He's not evil. He is good. He is the promised Messiah King who rules over all, even over evil. He's stronger than evil. Stronger than the prince of demons, Satan himself. And he's come to set people free and save and heal and restore. And we must pick sides. Our next point is be very careful how you respond to him. Jesus has been saying there's a struggle. It's, it's Satan versus me and I'm winning. I'm freeing people from Satan's grip because I'm mightier than the strong man and now you've got to decide what you think of me. Verse 30, anyone who is not with me is against me. Anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus is saying to them and to you and I, you can't be neutral. You can't sit on the fence when it comes to me. Either you're with me and doing my work or you're against me and scattering. It is one or the other. So I ask, which are you? Are you for him or against him? Decision must be made. If you're not for him, then you are against him. If you fail to defend Jesus, you oppose him. If you fail to trust in Jesus as saviour, then you're not saved. If you don't listen to and follow him as Lord, then you're his enemy. If you're not helping others enter his kingdom by your words and actions, you're actually scattering. But there's hope. 
Therefore, I tell you, says Jesus, people will be forgiven for every sin and blasphemy. The blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Many people fear that they've committed this unforgivable sin. I've spoken to such people. But heaps of people in our city, around the world, heaps of people fail to see or believe that Jesus is Saviour and Lord. People do make mistakes about his identity and people sin greatly. Picture a 70-year-old drunkard who's lived a life of sexual immorality, lying, stealing, foul language, blasphemy, ungodliness for decades. Do you realise that he is just as forgivable as the seven-year-old child who's done nothing worse than normal childhood naughtiness and selfishness? Or do you realise that the prostitute is, is just as forgivable as you or I or that nice person with their, their hidden pride and greed and selfishness. All those things can be forgiven. It's absolutely amazing that God forgives sin. Anyone, any one of us. But if you say and believe that the good things Jesus did were evil and came from evil, if you say that Jesus' miracles were from Satan and not the Spirit of God, then you blaspheme the spirits and you will not be forgiven, says Jesus. You go and call what he's done evil and you'll not be forgiven, not now, not ever. And it's not just saying some words. This, Jesus is talking about a conviction in your heart. And the Pharisees were guilty of that and they were in trouble. Maybe even past that point of no return. It's ironic that the Pharisees, the word means the separated ones, who thought that they were separate from everyone else and devoted to God, that they were most of all separated from God and his Messiah. To assert that Satan really did the son of God's deeds makes you unforgivable. I'm thankful that I don't think I've met. I haven't spoken to a person who's done this. The good news is that every other sin that we commit, for all of us, for all of you, we can be forgiven. For as we'll remember in the Lord's Supper shortly, the King Jesus would go to the cross and die to obtain our forgiveness. He would suffer the punishment and judgment for our sins. All our selfish and thoughtless words, our wrong beliefs, our disobedience and evil deeds. Anything and everything else can be forgiven and don't we thank God for that? Jesus paid for it all. So for anyone who turns to him, trusts in him, that there is forgiveness. God won't remember our sins and count them against us. 
He will welcome you into his family and adopt you as his child and pour the riches of his grace upon you. And it's life-changingly good news for us, even in lockdown. Do you know that forgiveness? In 2010, Yeni was a student at La Trobe who worshipped romantic desires and sought security in having a man. When men let her down, she turned to the occult, to clairvoyance and palm reading, witchcrafts, horoscopes, fortune tellers, yearning for guidance. But she felt like an, an evil presence was following her. At uni, Yeni developed a friendship with a Christian and she eventually prayed to receive Christ into her heart, but she wasn't sincere in asking for forgiveness and she continued to mess with the dark side. After a relationship breakup, Yeni was on the point of suicide. She had an encounter with Jesus. In her crying and sorrow, she cried out to God and felt Jesus embrace her. She said, I finally grasped the reason Jesus died on the cross for me. And what followed was a sense of genuine joy. Soon after, her Christian friends helped her see the occult was actually against God and Yeni was told, Yeni, you're tampering with demonic spirits. So she threw out all her books and candles and stones. She said, I'd invested so much into something that was anti-God and I could feel the anger of the demons. But Christ came into her life and changed her in many ways. She said, I used to take pleasure in seeing others in pain and now I want to comfort them. With the Lord in my life, I feel safer than I ever did with the occult. Friends, Jesus is stronger than evil. He frees people from Satan, forgives sin. How will you respond to him? I hope in faith, never giving up faith. And how you've responded to Jesus will show itself in your words. Our words reveal our hearts. Our final point, your words reveal your heart. Back in chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had said, you'll recognize the false teachers by their fruit. Bad tree produces bad fruit. And he returns to that here, verse 33. If the tree's bad, rotten, then the fruit will be bad. Rotten, a bad tree produces bad fruit. You might have an apple tree in your backyard that just produces yuck or rotten apples like those at the top of the picture. You can't fix that tree by just taking away those apples and stapling on really nice juicy ones. You see, soon enough, the tree will show itself in its fruits. 
What kind of tree are you? You might put on a show when you're with other Christians or when you're with Christians. You might control your tongue, behave in a certain way then, but those who live with you and know you well, they see the real you, don't they? Jesus says you only get good apples from a good tree, not a bad one. It's the same with people. It's the same with the Pharisees. Jesus calls them a brood of vipers, poisonous snakes. Verse 34, he says, they are evil. They they speak evil. For because from For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The whole trip is the speaker in our marriage and parenting courses this year. There's a big moustache that makes him distinctive. Trip shares a story about when he was a boy at his mum's extended family reunions. And that is with people, family who got together, but they didn't really get along. And they even sat on different tables, even in different rooms. And each time there'd be lots of food and too much wine, and it got wild. Paul's mum and dad taught the kids to say hi to everyone, and then they'd normally leave before things got too bad. One Saturday, though, Paul's mum got into an evangelistic conversation with one of her brothers. And meanwhile, another uncle was with Paul and his brother, saying sexually perverse things about women. When his mum discovered this, she ran downstairs, grabbed Paul and his brother, yanked them to the car, and before she drove away, she turned and said to her boys, I want to say something to you about what has just happened, and I don't want you to ever forget it. Paul hasn't. She said, there's nothing that comes out of the mouth of a drunk that wasn't there in the first place. Paul says the the alcohol didn't create the sexual perversion. The man was thinking those thoughts when sober. What alcohol did was loosen the lips, and when the lips get loose, guess, guess what? Out comes the heart. If this is true, which it is, you cannot just focus on regulating, managing, controlling your behaviour or your children's behaviour. The heart is the causal core of your personhood. The heart is your control system, the ruler and driver of your words and behaviour. We need to engage the heart. What you and I say comes from our hearts. Good words, good things will only come from you if the storeroom and treasure in you is good. It's true for Jesus, true for you and I. What you say to your family, your friends, your husband or wife comes from your heart. And as I shared at the start, or I and, and all of us, we can be selfish and angry and controlling and hurtful and manipulative with our words because of 
the sin in our hearts. So what Jesus says next is scary. 36, verse 36, look at that. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account every careless word they speak. All the words you've ever spoken to your siblings, your parents, your spouse, your kids, to your friends, even your enemies, all the words you've ever typed will have to justify and and be judged for them. Every careless, coarse, unhelpful, unloving word. And, And you know what? If it depends on me and my words, then I'm guilty and I I will fall short. I've spoken careless, hurtful, grumbling, sinful words more times than I can remember or count. Have you done that too? And if you or I or anyone stands before God and is judged on our words and performance, we will all be found guilty, all be condemned. We deserve judgment and hell. But there is, there is one who never sinned with his words. From his good heart, Christ only and always spoke good words. Only Jesus was without sin and he, he was the one who gave himself as our sacrifice and substitute. Only by trusting in in his sacrificial death for us in our place can we be forgiven and not condemned. If we've trusted in him, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So if I stand before God one day and he says, Clinton, why should I let you into my heaven? I cannot speak of my good words or good deeds or actions or performance. I can only say I trust in Jesus, my great deliverer, my saviour and my king who died for me. Only trust in Jesus acquits us, justifies us. Is he your saviour too? And when we trust in Jesus and so receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we're given new hearts. The promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36, uh, says this. God says, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit, my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes. How amazing. So God will forgive and cleanse us of of all our sins. He'll give us a new heart which is receptive to God and loves God and 
And by God's spirit, we then also have a new desire and new strength to do what God says. In the language of Romans chapter 2, our hearts have been circumcised by the spirit. So we're no longer dead in sin, but we've been set free to live God's way. It won't be perfect. As new covenant believers, we will still sin with our words. But we can obey our Lord Jesus in new and real ways by the work of the Spirit in us. Over time, we can make progress. Progress as our hearts are sanctified and changed to love God and love others. Progress in speaking words which build up and don't tear down in selfishness. And fellow fathers, let's strive to be a model of this to our families. So if you put your faith in Jesus as your Saviour and Lord, then you have been made new. You have a new heart. And from that you can produce good fruit. I got saddened and discouraged this week, even frustrated, hearing that the lockdown is going on for so many more weeks to come. I know there's hope. I also know it's hard for many of you. And if you're stuck at home with your spouse or your family or others, I ask what words will come out of your mouth today and this week? And what will the words you speak say about your heart? When you speak to your boss who frustrates you, to the housemate who ignores you, or the friend you call to touch base with, what words will you speak? Even in lockdown, our, our lips are not locked and the words that we can type in a message are not chained. You might live alone. You might feel alone. But I ask, who can you build up with your words? Maybe there's someone you can share Christ with Speak of your hope so that you can gather with the Lord Jesus, gather others to him. Will you speak words in prayer to God, seeking his help to be self-controlled, loving and like Jesus? Instead of using your words to curse or cut down, Christ calls you to use them to edify is build up and encourage and do it so that God gets the glory for the way that he changes hearts. As I close, I, I ask, what do your words say about your heart? The King Jesus, he is good. He's stronger than evil. He's stronger than Satan. And he's even strong enough by his spirit to change hearts. Yours and mine. So come to him in faith and speak good words that glorify him.
Let's pray. Father God, please do a work of your sovereign grace in us. For any who are listening now who don't know the hope and forgiveness that Jesus brings, may they find that in him. Change hearts, Lord. Save people, we pray. And for all of us, Lord, who have been forgiven and have new hearts, please continue your work of grace in each of us. And may our family and friends, our colleagues, fellow students, strangers, see more of Christ in us and in our words. Father, we pray these things coming to you through Jesus. Amen.